you know, we get asked all the time, who are your listeners? Who subscribes to your podcast? You know, how many do you have? So I thought you may be curious. We, at our peak month, which was uh, June of 2018, just last month as I'm recording this, we got 242,000 listens. So the podcast has been growing, doing really well. We're close to uh, approximately 600 podcasts that have been done. Not all by me, thank God, but many of them have been. I wanted to know something. Um, who are you, listeners? We, uh, from the data that we've seen, there's a lot of early adopters, uh, people that are you know anywhere from like 30 to uh, 55 that are interested in tech and all the new stuff that's coming out. But that may not be accurate. So I wanted to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, can you send an email to support at Future Tech Podcast? And let us know a little bit about yourself. You don't have to tell us your name or any of that stuff, but if you just let us know, why do you listen to the podcast? What do you get out of it? What some of your favorite episodes have been? And what do you want to see more of and hear more of in the podcast? And I'd love to accommodate you. And I'd love your feedback. So again, please send an email to support at futuretechpodcast.com. And thanks for listening. Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies, ways to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. And my guest today is Dominic D'Agostino. He's a PhD uh, associate professor in the Department of Molecular Pharmacology and Physiology at the Morsani College of Medicine. And I've been looking forward to speaking to Dom for a while. I, I heard him several times uh, speaking to Tim Ferriss on his podcast. And he's got tons of knowledge about uh, ketosis, ketogenic diets, um, dealing with cancer and various therapies, uh, I mean, anything physiological, maybe not anything, but many things you could ask him. So I'm glad to have him. Dom, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well, Richard. Yeah. If if you're okay with it, I wanted to focus on asking you about ketosis and ketogenic diets today. Because, um, I've seen, you know, I, I'm, I've tried it. I'm still on one. Maybe you wouldn't call it uh, a ketogenic diet, but, you know, low carb, low sugar. Ketogenic diet is pretty tough, but uh there's a lot of info out there, but there's still a lot of questions I had, and I bet listeners would have a lot of questions too. So that's what I wanted to ask you about, if we can talk about that area. Yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, really the, a big part of what I do is uh, developing and testing metabolic-based therapies, including ketogenic diets and uh, ketone supplements too. So with um, with ketogenic diets, can you just talk about the... Um, you know, the ratio of fats to proteins to carbs, and um, at what point you would say you cross the threshold into a, a low-carb diet instead, or at what point you're you're really not even approaching anything ketogenic? I mean, at what point do your macros give you the benefits of uh, of ketosis versus not? What's the range, you'd say? Yeah, the, the ketogenic diet is unique in that it's the only diet that I know of that really has an objective biomarker that we can measure in the urine, in the blood, uh, actually even in the breath too, uh, that can, you know, be an index of, or a barometer, so to speak, of uh, the level of ketosis that you're in. And clinically speaking, you're in ketosis if your blood ketone levels are above 0.5 millimolar. And for some people, 
uh, that could be easily achieved, you know, even on a high carbohydrate diet, believe it or not, if you're like an athlete and if you go into four or five hours of intense training, there's something called post-exercise ketosis. You know, they may be entering into that. Uh, but typically for, for, you know, a sedentary person, for, for the average person, they will need to eat a diet that's less than 25 grams of carbohydrates per day unless they're very active and doing over an hour of, of vigorous exercise per day, then they could bump it up to maybe even 50 to 100 grams, uh, depending on the individual. And and largely, most of the, the energy, the calories will be in the form of fats, and ideally, you know, certain types of fats. Uh, but the, the fat content of the diet, if it's used, if the the diet is used for clinical purposes could be up to 90% for pediatric epilepsy, for example, or if it's oh. used for a, adult epilepsy or metabolic management of like type, type 2 diabetes or other metabolic type disorders, uh, it could be upwards of around, you know, 75 to 65. And that would be the modified ketogenic diet, uh, sort of first published and popularized by uh, Eric Kossoff at Johns Hopkins, and the application was adult epilepsy. But when, when you hear people you know, talking about the ketogenic diet in, in the general health arena or the sports arena, they're really talking about a modified ketogenic diet, which is more liberal in protein. So instead of 10% protein, which was the original ketogenic diet or thereabouts, the modified ketogenic diet is upwards of uh, 20 to 25, you know, even 30% protein. Uh, some people can get by with, uh, especially if your calories are restricted, you know, maybe a little bit of that extra protein. If you're in a state of, of uh, energy uh, restriction, a little extra protein may mitigate some of the, the mus potential muscle loss if you are using it for weight loss. So that could be helpful. But it varies, you know, it really depends on the person. Some people can easily get into ketosis, uh, you know, and, and have ketone levels, you know, three, four, five millimolar. Uh, I tend to have to be fairly strict with my diet to even get up to the one to two millimolar range. Uh, but but also that could be an indication that my body is using ketones very efficiently as an energy source. So just like glucose, you know, if you have good insulin sensitivity, and uh, and then you go for a brisk walk, like, or, you know, your glucose stays relatively low if you're metabolically efficient. And, and some people are just, we find, are very good ketone uh, utilizers. Uh, I give them what I call a ketone tolerance test, right? There's a glucose tolerance test where you load someone with an oral bolus of glucose. And we have exogenous ketones, so you could give a, a key, uh, ketone tolerance test. And if those ketones are cleared from the blood very fast, that's an indication that the person has a very efficient ketone transport and uh, ketolytic enzymes and, and ketone metabolism machinery, uh, I, I would say, to, to use those ketones as an energy source. What do you think happens um, for someone that's attempting the ketogenic diet? I remember in an interview, you said that you bet that probably only 10% of people actually achieve it, and most of them are actually doing modified Atkins or you know some form of low carb. What do you think happens during the day for people that are attempting this? Are they in and out of ketosis all day, and are they in, in it for a part yeah. of the day, and then when they eat meals, they come out of it, and is that still helpful to them? Yeah, I, you know, you have to view this as a spectrum, and uh, simply, you know, carbohydrate restriction 
you can you can argue even calorie restriction, but carbohydrate restriction will cause a suppression of the hormone insulin. And you know, carbohydrates and to some extent protein is the the primary macronutrients that cause an elevation of this metabolic hormone. And uh, it, insulin is a storage hormone. And if we suppress the hormone insulin with a ketogenic diet, uh, that's actually how we make ketones. By suppressing insulin signaling, that helps the body to liberate uh, triglycerides and fats from, from adipose tissue, from our stores. So it mobilizes fat for energy and it also stimulates a process called beta oxidation of fat in the liver. And accelerated fat oxidation in the liver uh, drives uh, what we call hepatic or liver ketogenesis. And so accelerated fat you know, metabolism is actually a, a prerequisite for ketone production. So if you have ketones elevated in the blood, that is most certainly an indication that you are effectively using ketones as an energy source. So that that that's also a pretty good indication that if you're using it for fat loss, if you're using it to really shift your body's metabolism to be more of a fat burning, sort of less carbohydrate dependent metabolism, the elevation of ketones is a really good uh, a really good index, a really good barometer. But if you're not in a state of ketosis, that uh, could also mean that you know you, you could be making low levels of ketones, using them as fuel. You, you are most likely lowering the hormone insulin. If you're attempting a ketogenic diet but just not getting there, and you feel fine, uh, that's great. I mean, so for uh, uh, we study therapeutic ketosis and nutritional ketosis for metabolic applications and for military type applications, but your audience is probably just looking to, to follow the ketogenic diet or nutritional ketosis just to feel good, to give, to have more energy. Right. And, you know, so the goal then is not, you know, the goal is not to have, you know, elevated ketones in the blood. The goal is to feel better. So if you follow a low carbohydrate diet and you feel better, uh, that, that, that usually that kind of happens over time. Uh, initially, you may feel a little bit lethargic and you actually, by suppressing the hormone insulin, like your blood your blood pressure may drop, which is actually a good thing, unless you're on blood pressure medication, then you might have to adjust medications and things like that. But a lot of people may feel groggy and, and, and even brain fog in the beginning. But once the body adapts to uh, to sort of this your metabolic substrate, which is which is being shifted, uh, you generally feel better. Many people feel better over time with simple carbohydrate restriction. Uh, you know, a lot of the people using this are the, the kind of people who don't necessarily need it. <laughs> Many of the people who contact me are kind of athletes that are just wanting to get an edge. But I would say sort of the low-hanging fruit in all this are people who are have metabolic syndrome or who maybe have age-related, uh, uh, you know, cognitive decline or, or they have, you know, inflammation, uh, you know, they have some weight to lose. These are the kind of people who are highly responsive to the ketogenic diet and who stand to benefit tremendously. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a pretty good carbohydrate metabolizer and I do okay uh, on high carbs, but I've been on a ketogenic diet now for over a decade and I just choose this nutritional approach 
because uh, you know I'm at work right now and it's many hours since I've I've eaten last and I'm not hungry and I have lots of energy for the next uh, five or six hours of work that I have here. You know, so so there's some practical yeah. benefits uh, for me, especially being academia, where you know I, I lock myself into a project or even doing experiment where I don't have the uh, uh, the convenience to actually stop and eat and some of the, the stuff that I do. So it, it has actually made it possible for me to be considerably more efficient in what I do at, at work. And, uh, and if you look at my blood work over time, uh, the metabolic biomarkers are, are really significantly improved. Things like uh, HSC-reactive uh, protein, hemoglobin H1C, uh, triglycerides are like half of what they were before I started the ketogenic diet. Um, so there are wow. really object, objective biomarkers that I could point to and, and say, hey, you know, look at, you know, on paper, I, I am healthier. I feel better uh, if I follow this approach. Yeah. One of the big things that is, a, I don't want to call it a crutch, but a big helper are exogenous ketones, you know, ketones that you can take instead of having to produce. So I've, I've been taking them for like a year and a half and I had some questions about that. Um, sure. I don't yeah, hear anyone we, talking about when's good to take them. Like what, what would be the effect of taking exogenous ketones right before a meal versus right after a meal? Is there any uh, timing that you found that makes them optimal and what are their effects if you take them at certain times? Yeah, uh, we have a lot of experience with exogenous ketones. We were sort of responsible for bringing them to the market, more or less. Uh, so I started studying this uh, about ten, 10 years ago, and uh, we've published quite a bit on, on exogenous ketones, and uh, I, I use them, but the things that we use them for are very, uh, you know, the first application was CNS oxygen toxicity, which is a limitation for Navy SEAL uh, diving, and then that has broadened out to many different applications. Um, so when it comes to practical sort of applications and maybe things that your uh, your audience is looking for, uh, I could describe sort of the things, some of the observations that we've published and some of the observations that actually we have not we have not published yet. Uh, okay. So personally speaking, you know, if I so yesterday. I collected data on myself, and the first meal of the day was at 2 p.m., right? And my first meal was actually sardines, which I talked about on the Tim Ferriss podcast, right? Mm -hmm. uh, was was yep. one can of sardines, uh, one heaping tablespoon of, uh, let me see, I got the jar here, uh, Primal Kitchen uh, garlic mayo with avocado oil, <laughs> one, one tablespoon of that, and... Uh, uh, ketone salts and also medium chain triglycerides, and it was 500 calories. And when I consume this 500 calories, uh, the, the the sardines were uh, packed in olive oil. So that that description right there of uh, the the food that I ate um, is a ketogenic macronutrient profile. So it was uh, roughly 75% fat and about, you know, 25, really is like zero carbs and about 20, 25% protein. And when I consumed that meal, uh, my glucose level actually fell. So I had, my ketones were zero, okay, I go look at my data here. So I, my ketones were 0 0.6 and my glucose was 3.8. 
and 30 minutes after, my glucose dropped a little bit to 3.7, and then my ketones were up to about one millimolar. And then it peaked at about 90 minutes. I got up to about 1.5 millimolar ketones, and my glucose was the lowest. It was 3.5. So the addition of exogenous ketones to that ketogenic meal actually helped to further lower my glucose and elevate my ketones. And I think that has really practical implications, right? So so I I guess it would be interesting to do with a carbohydrate-based meal. And we've sort of done that in some of our animal studies. And and I have some data on that too, but I'm just kind of reporting to you what I, my experiment yesterday, as it's in my notes right here in my hand. Uh, but if I did not, I've, I've eaten that meal many times without exogenous ketones and my glucose levels go up a little bit. And uh, sardines actually, even though they're, you know, low carb, obviously, and ketogenic, uh, they tend to sort of knock down my ketones and kick me out of ketosis a little bit, you know, just because of the protein, because my body's pretty sensitive to these things. But if I add exogenous ketones, uh, you know, to that meal and you follow my blood work, uh, and even I'm repeating this now and actually measuring insulin, you know, um, okay. it, it, it looks like I've continued to fast. <laughs> so, and the, the, the things that drive the benefits of a fasting state are your blood glucose, your insulin, and uh, many would argue beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is a ketone. So Mark Matson, for example, at the NIH, demonstrated that brain-derived neurotrophic factor, that that is sort of driven by beta-hydroxybutyrate. Many of the, uh, many of the pathways, uh, anti-inflammatory pathway, and even uh, you know, the pathway for gene expression, uh, the, the benefits, uh, many of the benefits are derived from the ketone body, beta-hydroxybutyrate. It actually functions as a histone deacetylase inhibitor, uh, type 1, uh, class 1. So I, I think it's, I, I think there's an opportunity for exogenous ketones to actually be incorporated into food. And, and in doing so, putting this technology into food would enhance the, the metabolic uh, efficiency of the body and also uh, for reasons that we're still trying to understand actually enhance glucose uptake into tissues so or, or glucose I should say enhances insulin sensitivity to the degree that you have significantly less postprandial spike in glucose so these spikes in glucose can trigger a spike in insulin and it's really baseline glucose is important, but the big spikes in glucose that accompany a, a carbohydrate-based diet are the things that kick on inflammatory pathways. Uh, so relative changes, I guess stated another way, relative changes in uh, in a system uh, can cause sort of the most uh, the biggest effects, right? And um, okay. And it's and and in some cases that that could be beneficial. For example, the uh, the amino acid leucine needs to be elevated above a certain level to kick on skeletal muscle protein synthesis, right? Uh, but if you want to keep your body into a state of fat adaptation or keto adaptation, and even even in terms of energy, you know, if you attenuate that glucose and insulin response. You're going to kind of stay in the quote-unquote zone for 
for the duration of the day. You're feeding your body energy, but you're you're not having this wild uh, excursions in, in glucose that's going to affect your cognitive function, you know, which is linked to motivation and and sort of your work productivity. So that's that's how I like over a decade, <laughs> I've sort of learned how to tweak the system uh, as it pertains to my own body, but we also do quite a bit of work in, in mouse models and rats. Uh, we sort of learn to tweak the system to be able to feed the body to further enhance, uh, you know, fat use as fuel and to also preserve that neurological resilient or optimized state over time. So, uh, so what what I was just describing is not yet published, but we have quite a bit of data that we'll probably soon publish. And I'm just giving you an example of how exogenous ketones can be incorporated, you know, into food. I get that question a lot. Like, what happens to glucose, you know, if you consume exogenous ketones? Do you use one fuel or the other? So I get that question a lot. So would I mean this is just again I know you're not prescribing advice or anything, but what do you think if someone um, you know, again, they're on a low-carb diet. They just can't get on the ketogenic diet. It's just too hard for them, which is understandable. And they say, all right, I'm going to take a little bit of exogenous ketones right before each meal of the day. What do you guess that the effect would be on them? Do you think it would help them approach a ketogenic diet? Do you think it would increase their benefit a lot? What do you guess would happen? Yeah, well, I know some people it's really hard for them to get into a state of ketosis and you know, that, that's not always the goal, right? The goal, the goal is to feel better. And I think if they, if they ride it out, my, my opinion is that they will feel better if they kind of uh, enter that state of ketosis. One way to do it is through intermittent fasting. So they may want to try what I call like an 18-6. So basically, you know, fasting for 18 hours and eating within a six-hour window. Uh, you might want to call that time-restricted eating, too. Uh, so that that is one way to get into ketosis. So what I have done, a modified form of that, is actually to, uh, not yesterday, but the day before yesterday, what I did, I had my first meal at 4 p.m. and my first meal of the day, solid food meal. And my first, uh, uh, I consumed a ketone supplement at 12 p.m., at 12 noon. Right. And uh, the the supplement sort of that I formulate together, I, I have the raw ingredients. I, I, I use some of the products on the market, but uh, I tend to like to formulate my own uh, things. So I consume that at, at 12 p.m. And that was basically uh, no protein, no carbohydrates. Uh, it was it did contain uh 12 grams of medium chain triglycerides and 12 grams of beta hydroxybutyrate salts and sort of more or less in a one-to-one combination. When I consumed that, uh, I, it gave me an, you know, a noticeable increase in energy and focus throughout the day. And it also suppressed my appetite. So it allowed me to sort of extend, uh, my fast. And if you looked at my blood work, it would look like, uh, I was in, it almost looked like uh, I'm in a, a more of a fasting state when you take exogenous ketones. If you bolus ketones really high, uh, for example, with a ketone ester or you do an intravenous infusion, that could cause a release of insulin. But uh, we have not seen a release of insulin with sort of the ketone supplements that are on the market. So they just 
don't get to the level that would cause a release of insulin. I, I think some people, there's a little confusion out there. And some people say uh, this happens, but I think, and it can happen with a really high dose of the ketone ester, um, which are just starting to get on the market now. Uh, but the practical benefits are that you can extend, you could be in a state of ketosis without necessarily your body achieving that state. So you're helping it uh, with a ketone supplement. Now, the exogenous ketones in the form of a ketone salt is artificially getting you there. And the medium chain triglyceride fats are uh, a ketogenic precursor, which means it's stimulating your body's own uh, ketogenesis pathways. And I think it's important for our research and me personally, I feel that it's important not to just consume a ketone salt product because that can, I, I believe, just consuming a pure ketone salt product may impair your body's ability uh, to make its own ketones if you consume it at a high enough dosage over time. Uh, we have seen that a little bit, but if you what, deliver... What would be high enough, by the way? A high enough dosage? Uh, I would say anything you know above... Uh, once you are elevating your ketone levels above one millimolar with a ketone salt product, it's uh, it's starting to kick down your own ketone levels. I say that because if I'm in a fasted state and say I have 1.5 millimolar ketones and then I consume a pure ketone salt and that, that pushes me up to 2.5, about three hours later, not even three hours, about two hours later, my ketones can drop down to 0.5. So it, it takes me back down to a level where I was lower and I hadn't technically uh, you know, eaten any food. But if you deliver the ketone salts with ketogenic fats, like medium chain triglycerides, uh, you are delivering exogenous ketones with a, a ketogenic fat. And that the fat essentially acts as a controlled delivery system. So it delays gastric absorption to some extent. But more importantly, it's stimulating and augmenting uh, endogenous ketone production through beta oxidation of fatty acids in, in the liver. So you are, you know, you are delivering ketones to the blood and at the same time delivering ketogenic fats that's driving uh, hepatic ketogenesis. And that if you look at the pharmacokinetic profile of that, it's, it's pushing it to the right. So, uh, and you get a relatively fast onset. So in 30 minutes, you know, you're, you're sort of in a state of mild ketosis, therapeutic ketosis, if you want to call it that. And then the addition of fats just help to push that that pharmacokinetic curve uh, another, uh, depending on the dose, another hour or two farther. So there's some practical benefits. Of, and it's, it's also, you can get higher uh, with a combination of ketone salts and medium chain triglyceride fats together than you could with either one alone. You know, so they, they have an additive effect. In some model systems, they actually have a synergistic effect. Uh, so you can, okay. you know, you can get, and, and I think, you know, that, that's important for practical applications. Uh, also, if you just consume a pure ketone salt, the, the mineral load can cause an osmotic shift in the gut that can give you kind of, uh, you know, diarrhea or a loose stool. So it can pull fluid into the gut. So there are ways, and we're formulating various things where you can deliver higher amounts of ketone electrolytes or ketone mineral salts that can, 
you know, increase uh, palatability, not only palatability, but tolerability over time. And where you can, you can get the ketone levels that are about halfway to, to what you can achieve with an ester. Actually, with an ester, you can pretty, pretty much go wherever you want. Uh, they just taste horrible. So actually, most of the research that we do are actually, are actually with ketone esters. <laughs> so about uh, you know, 80% of the research that I publish have been with ketone esters, and I have them right by my desk, but I don't use them. Well, I use them occasionally if I'm testing things, but I just tend to go for the ketone salts because I... I feel when I get my my levels too high, like with an ester, I just start to feel uh, like unwell, like my body's dealing with a metabolic acidosis. You know, it might be oh, good wow. for a, a very hard charging athlete. And I think there are applications for ketone esters. You know, we're working with the, the, the Office of Navy Research for Navy SEAL warfighter applications as it pertains to underwater performance and environment and things like that. But for the for the everyday person, uh, and I think even maybe for warfighter applications, the ketone salt formulas are evolving to where they are potent, they're palatable, and uh, and they're also delivering uh, valuable minerals like like uh, potassium, sodium, potassium, uh, magnesium. So these things are being delivered. They are sort of ionically bound with the ketones. And even amino acids, too, can be ionically bound with the ketones. So you can deliver a whole host of uh, important uh, you know, nutritional products or nutritional uh, components to the body with some of these ketone salt formulas that could be developed. Okay. And I just want to ask you a narrow question. What do you think the difference would be to having an exogenous ketone and then eating a meal you know, 10 minutes later versus eating a meal and then having the exogenous ketone, you know, 10 minutes after you ate, what do you guess the difference would be? Yeah, so I've done, I've done that experiment many times. <laughs> and uh, uh, what I observe, well, it depends on sort of the type. I'll give, just give you an example of one that I can, I can remember and maybe look to see if I have uh, sort of the notes here at my desk. Uh, so if, if an exogenous ketone in the form of maybe the one I just described, right? So, so 10 to 15 grams of a ketone salt and maybe 10 to 15 grams of, a, of an MCT combination. If that is consumed prior to uh, a low-carb meal, not necessarily ketogenic, but you know, a low-carb meal, maybe a, a steak and some vegetables, salad, something like that, uh, we do see that it... it Buffers to some extent the uh, the rise in glucose. Uh, probably in me about 20 to 25 percent if it's consumed. Uh, sort of what I'll do is consume a ketone supplement, work at my desk a little bit, get home, and maybe my wife will have dinner ready for me, like you know, 30 or 60 minutes after I, I consume the ketone supplement. Uh, so. It, it does appear to enhance insulin sensitivity to the degree that uh, it's causing a less of a, a postprandial elevation in glucose. And of all the things people are studying with exogenous ketones, I think probably the most remarkable thing, and it is it is profound, the most remarkable thing is the glucose lowering effect that exogenous ketones have. Uh, our lab does a lot of research with metformin. One of my PhD students did his entire dissertation on metformin. You know, I've used it. We, we study it in many different ways. So metformin doesn't even come close to the glucose lowering effect of ketones. 
You know, uh, it depends oh, wow. on the type the ke- type of ketone you use and the dosage too. Of course, you know, if you're talking about one three butane diol, that is technically a, a hypoglycemic agent, and then you can make ketones ketone esters out of that by doing a trans esterification reaction, adding acetoacetate or, or beta hydroxybutyrate. Uh, so those, you know, we observed that those have a glucose lowering effect, and more recently, uh, the ketone salts do too. But what we don't know is, uh, and that, that can occur when it's, it's consumed prior to a meal. And if you consume the ketone, uh, let's just call it exogenous ketone supplement, it could be an ester or a ketone salt. If you consume that after a meal, say a high protein, low carb meal, uh, one hour after, and your glucose level is still rising, it'll help bring that back down. And sometimes you even get a little bit of a, a postprandial, if it's three or four hours later, even a dip, like a little bit hypoglycemic dip. Uh, but you don't feel the hypoglycemia so because the ketones are supplying an alternative form of energy to your brain. And, and some of the work, you know, this goes back to the work of George Cahill at uh, Harvard Medical School, who really uh, observed that ketones can largely replace glucose as a primary energy source for the brain. And subjects that even have a glucose level of, uh, you know, anywhere between 18 to like 30 milligrams per deciliter or one to two millimolar were asymptomatic for hypoglycemia uh, if their ketones were elevated. So some of the benefits, you know, some people get hungry. Some people will eat a big meal and get hungry shortly after. And and that ketones can largely attenuate that for, for many people. And they create a situation where I would say, I would say 10 years ago, you know, uh, I was sort of controlled by food. And, uh, and I think ketones make it create a scenario. And I think people need to study this from a, a neuroendocrine and point of view, maybe a neuropharmacology point of view, where uh, you are in control of sort of your appetite and sort of your appetite controlling you. And I think just mildly elevating your ketones to 0.5 or 1.0 millimolar uh, has an appetite suppressing effect that that's very practical. And uh, and I think we can conclude from the work of Stephen Cunane, he did a dual uh, glucose and ketone PET scan that simply elevating ketones into the one millimolar range is uh, stimulating ketone, stimulating energy production in the brain, probably up to upwards of, of 10 to 20 percent. So, meaning about you know, if you have a, a ketone elevation of one millimolar, uh, we can we can have, you know do a little work and, and conclude that about 10 percent of your your brain. Uh, energy demands are being met by uh, by the ketone bodies, and and that could be significant and important for uh, people who have impaired glucose utilization, sort of in the brain. And many neuropathologies or neurodegenerative diseases are pathophysiologically linked to impaired uh, glucose metabolism <laughs> through various, you know, uh, a deficiency in various uh, glucose. Uh, uh, transporters like the GLUT3 transporters, or maybe the GLUT1, or the activity of enzymes like pyruvate dehydrogenase complex, the PDH complex, which is a hallmark characteristic of many neuropathologies. So elevating ketones can help to restore and preserve 
uh, brain metabolism. And even for a normal healthy person, what that is doing is it's making you resilient to that that periodic hypoglycemia that everybody has. And that hypoglycemia triggers cravings. It triggers us for us to go reach for foods that we shouldn't eat. And maybe more importantly for your audience, it's also decreasing your cognitive performance. When your glucose levels go low and you don't have ketones there, you're not as sharp as you otherwise would be. So when they have those commercials and they say, are you hangry? Go to Arby's. The commercial should yeah. be, are you hangry? Have exogenous ketones instead, right? Uh, yeah, I think uh, from my perspective, they they really do help a lot. And I think it, it's one of those areas, you know, uh, there's a lot of people, you know, selling ketone products out there now. And, uh, and they need to fund the research. So I think it's kind of being marketed for that. And practically speaking, I could say, yeah, I mean, it, it works. And also when you... When you feed animals exogenous ketones, they just tend to eat a little bit less and drop about 10% uh, of their body weight. But what we really need, and animal work is great, and I think it's it's very uh, informative, but not always predictive, right? Animal models are great, and they, they, they're proof of concepts in many ways, but not always uh, informative, but not predictive of what I say. I think we need to... Uh, Maybe some of these supplement companies out there selling products and making claims can fund, you know, a university study uh, where we have a control and we have graded levels of these exogenous ketones in different formulas, and we can do more of a controlled human uh, study because, you know, anybody can lose weight or most people can lose weight. The problem is keeping that weight off due to our counter-regulatory processes that sort of override our, our feeding behavior, right? So if if something like an endogenous metabolite like ketones can help to control our eating behavior and, you know, the, the behavioral response to eating is very complex and there's there's many factors to consider. But from my perspective, and I'm, I'm not an expert in eating behavior, uh, but I sort of am in metabolism and neuroscience. Uh, I think that the the most promising agent out there for appetite regulation uh, would be exogenous ketones, in my in my opinion, and uh, and it's a healthy way to do it instead of you know stimulants and other things that people, other strategies that people try to employ. I think exogenous ketones would would be a, a really good strategy and and uh, and help you uh, do periods of intermittent fasting. So you can kind of get the benefits of both. All right. Well, I just have one or two more questions, if you don't mind, um, about exogenous ketones. So I've I've taken you know a bunch of different ones like Keto Force, Perfect Keto, etc. So I'm as a consumer, I'm confused because I see stuff like um, calcium beta hydroxybutyrate, magnesium beta hydroxybutyrate, sodium beta hydroxybutyrate. I see all these you know all these different forms of BHB and what have you seen? is effective versus not effective in, in the various exogenous ketones out there and why? Yeah, well, I, I have a lot of data on that. <laughs> some of some of that I could share. Some of, some of it I can't because it's sort of tied up in university uh, intellectual property and hasn't, you know, it's kind of in, in the confines of our research lab. But, uh, but there's some general things that I, I can talk about. Uh, when the, when it comes to ketone salts, so ketone esters is what I've probably done the most research on, but I've we've also published a number of papers on ketone salts, and it's kind of what I personally use, and occasionally I use the, the ketone esters. But 
with a ketone salt, the limitation will be the osmotic load in the gut, you know, and, and just the mineral load load in general. That has always been sort of the, uh, the, the big argument. So with beta-hydroxybutyrate, you can ionically uh, bind that to sodium, potassium, calcium, and magnesium, and also... Uh, uh, a number of different amino acids too. You can you can do that. Um, it's a little more challenging, especially from a taste wise and, and synthesis wise, but it can be done. Uh, ideally, what you want to do is have a ketone uh, salt product that spreads the beta hydroxybutyrate out across all these electrolytes. So where you have a balance of sodium, potassium, uh, and also calcium, and magnesium, and and that, that will increase the tolerability of these things. And as I mentioned, a ketone salt product, when it's combined, and we're working out the various ratios, but for now, I mean, uh, you know, if, if, if one part ketone salt product, one part medium chain triglyceride is probably the way to go. And the ketogenic fat, when it's consumed with the ketone salt, uh, simultaneously stimulates endogenous ketone production, uh, the, the D-beta-hydroxybutyrate. And then you also have salts that are racemic and salts that are the D-enantiomer. And that's sort of another topic we could discuss. But, uh, but the, the beta-hydroxybutyrate, ideally, you want to have it in a product that's, that, that has it spread across a variety of, of minerals. And, uh, you know, sometimes I formulate things that it's not you know, it's not equally uh, across it because you have, for example, a much higher ability to absorb sodium than you do magnesium. <laughs> so mm. the product, the product needs to be formulated, but magnesium is, is super, uh, you know, important mineral to have. And actually with a ketogenic diet, sometimes it, uh, it, it is, uh, some people are deficient in the magnesium, but I know the beta hydroxybutyrate magnesium uh, salt it's very bioavailable because I took it and then got tested and my blood levels were much higher than actually most of the magnesium supplements on the market. So it's actually a very bioavailable form of magnesium and you're also delivering beta-hydroxybutyrates at the same time. So I think we're at the cusp of understanding, you know, uh, ketone salts and, and the applications of ketone salts. But from my perspective, we're also at the, the cusp of, of really engineering these uh this fourth macronutrient and i do like to call it the fourth macronutrient right because you can't really characterize it as a fat they're like water soluble fat molecules but you have protein carbs and fats right and ketones are an are a calorie containing energy metabolite that we can now consume they elevate levels that are bioidentical to what our body makes and they have they not only you know are alternative energy for the brain, they have epigenetic effects. They suppress the NLRP3 inflammasome, which is uh, something that we're intensely studying in the lab and the various inflammatory pathways linked to that. So they're, in, they're suppressing inflammation. They're activating genes that can confer resistance against environmental stressors and maybe even longevity. It's a hot area of study. Uh, so we need to sort of develop uh, exogenous ketone formulas that are tolerable and palatable. And, and most importantly, I think from the new research that we're doing, we've published uh, some work uh, on anxiety behavior and, 
and various other applications showing that different ketone salts uh, formulas and even the ketone esters uh, work differently for different applications. In some situations, they don't work at all, where in other situations, they work remarkably well. Or I should reframe that. In some situations, if we're studying five different exogenous ketones, we may see remarkable results with one or two of them, but no effect at all uh, with, with two or three others. So it, it's very apparent now, and I could say that for, uh, for example, seizures. If I study oxygen toxicity seizures, which are powerful grand mal seizures, uh, these types of seizures do not respond to beta-hydroxybutyrate alone. You have to elevate acetoacetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate, and the anti-seizure neuroprotective effects seem to be highly dependent or even more dependent on acetoacetate. But to some extent, you also need beta-hydroxybutyrate present. And there, you, we are examining sort of the pharmacokinetic ratios of these things. And uh, so it becomes, you know, a little bit complicated. And that's why we do the research. And that's why we publish it. I encourage people to go to PubMed and sort of read our studies because it gets into the weeds a bit. And uh, I can't get into all the details. Uh, we did published a study in 2016 in Frontier's Molecular Neuroscience uh, that I think may be relevant to, to, your, to your listeners uh, on a reduction of anxiety. And we used the elevated plus maze and clearly showed that rats that were uh, in a state of nutritional ketosis with a ketone supplement that included a beta-hydroxybutyrate salt and medium-chain triglyceride stayed in the open arm, uh, which is, you can kind of think of it like a catwalk, but it'll be a rat walk, right? <laughs> they stay in an open arm significantly more time than running back into the closed arm, which is like a little cave. And that's, uh, I, I love this test because there's all sorts of tests you could do for anxiety in rodents, but it, it kind of, it's very um, relevant to humans, I think, or the most sort of applicable because uh, it's clearly showing a decrease in the fear response and, and also the sociability of of the animal. They're just they're just they have significantly less fear uh, to be exposed to you know an open environment. And uh, and a study that in 2018 we followed up on that study and showed that it was the effect was mediated through the adenosine A1 receptor. And uh, and we also did some work showing that GABA, an amino acid. Is, is elevated with ketone supplementation. So you have more glutamate being converted to GABA through glutamic acid decarboxylase. And we don't have to get into the neuropharmacology, but the, it's important to know that nutritional ketosis not only changes your brain energy metabolism, but it fundamentally changes the neuropharmacology of your brain to make you less anxious. And, and it alters a number of pathways that could sort of stabilize uh, your brain from a neurotransmitter perspective that could probably uh, allow a person, and you know we're looking at rats, but moving, moving our research to humans, allow a person to uh, maintain that cognitive resilience uh, in an extreme environment or under, under various stressors. So that's, that's sort of where our yeah. research is, is focused on, right, as it, as it pertains to military personnel and, and also the stuff that we're doing with NASA. So we're uh, the next project we're going into is NASA Extreme Environment Mission Operations. So uh, my wife will be a crew member for that, and she's a cognitive oh, wow. neuroscientist. So she does all the 
the NIH toolbox and Joggle and, and the various uh, cognitive and psychological testing, you know, in the extreme environment with uh, with the crew, which include astronauts. So we're, we're, we're testing a number of these things. We're just getting baseline data. And the idea is to, you know, as we move along, evaluate various uh, nutritional ketogenic strategies in these environments. That's amazing. I feel like I've uh, gotten one-tenth of one percent of all your knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's but, a really yeah. a fun area to talk about, you know, because uh, – uh, it, it's fun to be able to, like, you know, be a research subject on the stuff that you're studying. Like, you know, some people who study cancer may study the RAS oncogene, but, you know, I'm studying ketones and ketogenic diet, and I can actually, <laughs> I can actually test some of these things on myself on a day-to-day basis. So that, and you know, our entire lab is full of people that are very passionate about this stuff, and I think that makes all the difference in the world. Uh, even on the experimental results that that come from the individuals, because they're super passionate about about this research. So, uh, and and I guess That's it's great. becoming more popular because you're having, you know, a guy like me on talk about this, and so it's really cool to see the popularity of the keto diet and even ketone supplements, you know, uh, come out over over the last decade. I've been studying this. Yeah, definitely. Well, so you mentioned PubMed. Uh, what? Any other resources yeah. for listeners to find out more? I don't want them to, like, uh, you know, attack you with questions. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. but, uh... yeah. Uh, my my website is ketonutrition.org, not .com. So it's ketonutrition.org, O-R-G. And on that, on my website, uh, you know, um, we're working on the website now, but it has quite a bit of information on there, uh, whether you're interested in just practical applications of the ketogenic diet, it's used for cancer, it's used for uh, epilepsy or seizure disorders, uh, keto products. So some of the products, I don't have any products myself, but I do test products and I recommend uh, certain certain ketogenic products based on uh, the tests that we do in the lab uh, on them. So there's various products that I recommend. Uh, we have a blog that talks, for example, how to do a vegan ketogenic diet. Not that not that I'm a vegan uh, or would want to be, but you know there's there's a description on how to do that. And we also our blog will also from week to week, and we're doing we're going to do more of this. We'll evaluate different products and post our blood work of the products as we move along. Very cool. Well, Dom, thanks so much for taking the time. It's, uh, there's a lot to look up, a lot of great tidbits from the call, so I really appreciate you coming. Thanks for having me, Richard. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.